Hello there, I am kicking off a special series for this year to address the monumental challenges that have been facing us, and especially facing leaders of this year. Addressing diversity seems like an appropriate place to start since many of the inquiries that I've been receiving as of late have been around that effort. In the 1990s, diversity was the cool buzzword to have on the wall of many companies, on the paintings and offices, or perhaps even as a principled value on the careers page of many company websites. In the early 20s, that continued to echo that same sentiment within that year. But the commitment that was originally ignited seemed to dwindle a bit. Perhaps the need did not seem as apparent anymore. After all, there was the increase, regardless of the size, of faces that looked different from the majority. Diversity began to morph into a broader requirement that no longer meant expanding the opportunities and representation of the community customer base or even of those who were traditionally exploited and alienated as initially intended. It began to mean differences in general. If we have people who are all different in some way, we're representing diversity, are we not? We have introverts, we have extroverts, we have the innovators as well as the producers, we have the left-handed and the right-handed, and if we are really bold, we will even focus on gender diversity, bringing in more females. However, racial diversity became something passe. As inappropriate to bring it up as when it initially became a very important goal. Only decades prior, it was a priority, and only decades later, it became out of fashion. And you better not dare speak of racism, because if you are so lucky to be one of the selected few to get let in, you certainly did not want to risk that access. Now comes a time when we are all humbled. The United States is humbled, and dare I say, the world has been humbled. The egregious, painstaking, and monstrous pandemic, also known as COVID-19, has given everyone, all of us, a grand spanking. Regardless of your privileged position, it has everyone searching for the steering wheel, the continuous drive to regain what we perceived as control. On the best days, we even aim to grasp an intimate purpose for our lives. While our wounds were still open, some may have perceived their, theirs as healing or being healed, and others with gashes wide open. George Floyd happens. For some, this was the absolutely last emotional straw, the last straw of racism that had been detrimentally deadly to their livelihood, figuratively and physically, for a very long time. And for others, it was the last straw because they were already against the wall due to the lasting damage of this pandemic and other environmental conditions. And for some, well, for others, their eyes were open for the absolutely first time, if you can imagine that. Or perhaps it was the first occasion that they had to focus 
the opportunity to focus on such ugliness that was nothing short of a rerun for many others. Perhaps it was the explosive cocktail that was created between a massive killing pandemic and a video that would give Freddy Krueger the chills. Whatever the reason, what appears to be a tipping point, the need for diversity, and dare I even say racial diversity, once again has our attention. I would like to spend some time focusing on seven steps to expanding diversity within your organization. What is not covered comprehensively in this vlog is inclusion. Inclusion is very important and I would say a class above diversity. And diversity is like the prerequisite, if you will, of inclusion. It's definitely easier to accomplish of the two. Though some may argue the opposite, ideally you would commit to taking both classes at the same time. And I know that some are saying, isn't diversity hard enough? Yet, if we are honest, yes, it is. It is especially in this country. However, diversity is not and never will be sustainable without inclusion. So given the limited time available in this vlog, and kudos to those who are still here listening to me because I know time is limited for many of us, we're going to focus on company diversity specifically. So step number one, and achieving diversity for your organization is acknowledging that you don't know what you don't know. When I think of several conversations that I have had with people who work in talent acquisition for many major companies or even professional associations for that matter where there has been a lack of diversity, the main argument is that they cannot seem to find the right people of color that it's so hard to find people of color to fill those roles and to be interested. Now, admittedly, I will say to you, I will confess, I'm often thinking, though sometimes not saying or asking, is it that you cannot find people of color or you don't know what you just don't know? And the truth is that homogeneity is the most basic and easiest way to make decisions. And that is for all of us. So while kindergartners are the most loving and collaborative and friendly people among each other, they do tend to cling to one another. While they may be friendly to everyone, they bond with each other based upon their common experience living in a world of unknowns where they know a lot more than people think that they do and they're often underestimated. And one of the first things that they learn is to categorize. They group the round shapes with other round ones, the purples with the purples, and the greens with the greens. Categorization, we learn, from an early age saves us time. And as we grow older, we continue to advance in the skill of categorization. Categorization adds efficiencies to our lives that we otherwise would not have. I personally have coded my closet based upon occasion, based upon the color of the material. And even when we are found of people who are not like ourselves, 
most of us, if we're honest, we tend to categorize. Since kindergarten, we have gravitated to those like us because it is more comfortable. And that is what we tend to do, categorize. Given that, considering the context in which we live, and I know that many people reading this blog or listening to this vlog are not in the United States. And I'm specifically referencing the United States and other countries that have been developed based upon economic racism for their foundation and of course subsequent racial disparities. So in this context, obviously that is expounded. But we are humans and if we are humans and of human nature, we tend to feel more comfortable around those who either share experiences with us or look like us. And it's our normal tendency to categorize them in ways that we would expect to or not expect to in a knee-jerk fashion. And so this knee-jerk faction of, and this knee-jerk reaction, excuse me, of categorization also is the way that we will typically hire those who are like ourselves. Why would anything more or less than that be expected? And then you put that in the context of an economically driven, racially disparaging tradition, and you have what we have today, and that is a racism pandemic in a world that may ironically deem themselves as post-racial. I am reminded of a time when I was in church, I'm still in church, but there was a special occasion where blue was the color that we were to wear. Now I went shopping and I went to at least three of my favorite stores and I could not seem to find that right blue dress. Interestingly enough, I saw several green dresses. There were just green dresses all over the place. And perhaps, maybe just perhaps, that's because green is my favorite color. I wasn't used to wearing blue, I would admit, and blue was a stretch for me, and I rarely, if ever, wore blue. I eventually found a blue dress online, but I lacked a connection to it. I just was not used to wearing it. Sure, some may be offended that I dare compare people to dresses. And I agree, it's not that simple. Though what is that simple is that we are emotionally driven beings. Oftentimes we believe that we're making sound, objective decisions when we're doing nothing of the sort. We're simply responding to what feels the most familiar, the most emotionally comfortable. And some of us call it a gut feeling. Dare we not trust our gut in this modern era of self-actualization? Even in this proclaimed era of self-actualization, we must be open to learning from others in order to achieve greatness. I don't know Spanish very well, so I'm taking Spanish classes. I get help from my Spanish friends, and I don't assume that there is no use for Spanish simply because I don't know how to master the language yet. And so let's not assume that there is no need to attempt diversity simply because you haven't yet mastered it. Be open to learning from others, even if you have achieved 
greatness in specific areas. What many do not know is that diversity takes significant effort. While I love diverse environments and novel experiences, this is not the norm. Most people of all races prefer what is familiar. Familiar is more comfortable. Comfortable is convenient. And this leads us to number two. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you are genuinely desiring diversity within your organization, you're going to be uncomfortable at times. You may be uncomfortable when they have personal stories to which you cannot relate. You might be uncomfortable because they don't get your jokes. You might be uncomfortable when they disagree with your seasoned and tenured opinion. If you're at the most elementary stages of racial and cultural diversity, you may even be uncomfortable by such superficialities as the differences of foods that they eat or the differences in their hair and even maybe their skin. Though if you are genuinely hoping to work in a diverse work environment, you will be comfortable with your lack of comfort and with being uncomfortable until you become more comfortable. The third step, which has been implied already, is to not trust your gut. Do not trust your gut when it comes to increasing diversity within your organization. I know this sounds counterintuitive from everything that you have learned regarding how to live and how to make decisions. However, when building diversity, it is selfish and downright dangerous to rely on your gut. In this modern era, thankfully, we have access to more objective tools and data than we ever have in the past. When hiring and promoting, we should use assessments and simulations to help us make objective decisions. Such tools help us to analyze the quality of talent that is not subjectively based, but based on relative subject matter expertise and performance ability. Now let's get to step number four. And step number four is knowing your community. Know your community base because it is important for two reasons. Firstly, the more that you know your community base, the more knowledgeable that you will be in finding and attaining diverse talent that is not far away. Quite conveniently, a community base can conceivably be global at this point in our modern era. This is most commonly found among higher level positions that typically include searches that will pay, will reimburse, will sponsor relocation globally even. The second important reason that you want to be intimate and know your community base is because every organization should be an asset to their community not just a taker, but an asset. So if you're familiar with the community, if you're familiar with the inhabitants of the city in which your organization resides, then it will be difficult 
to understand how it will be difficult for you to not understand how your community needs your service. And it will be easier for you to understand how you can ultimately serve your community. Knowing your community base will help you not only to better your community, it will help you to know the diverse representation that exists within it for your organization to tap into it to obtain diverse talent that exists right there underneath your nose. Now step number five is to know your customer base. Now I know this is common knowledge in marketing, but oftentimes some organizations still tend to ignore what their company base is composed of. Many organizations have taken advantage of researching their, their customer base, but if you have not, I encourage you to do so. So when a workforce lacks the diversity and the thought perspective that is represented within their company base, or my apologies, within their customer base, then selling and serving that customer audience places them in a disadvantage to do so. So it's important to know your customer base because then you will know how to best serve and attract and continuously attract those who are interested in what you have to offer. Step number six is to make diversity a priority. Yes, if you're reading this, you have an intention of increasing diversity within your organization, hopefully. But it's not only important to have an intention to increase diversity, it's important to make it a priority. Why is this important? Because as we know, most of our days are fully occupied. They're busy. We're rushing to make deadlines, working positively toward various goals and placing effort based upon the priorities. Yes, the priorities of our organization. So there are some things that we will never get to, even though they're on our list. There is never a time when we get to do everything that we want to do, but we focus on what is prioritized at the highest by our leadership. We ensure that diversity is a priority by setting direct goals tied to it. In many areas of talent and HR especially, we want to move more qualitative to more non-numerical, sophisticated ways of measuring performance. However, quantitative measurement is needed when there is a lack of sophistication to do otherwise. And for most organizations, such sophistication regarding diversity just is not there. And so we still need to quantitatively measure the diversity progress. Also, dare I say quantitative data is still king among most C-suite layers of top organizations. If diversity is a priority, then it will be measured. What is a priority is measured. And as we all know, what gets measured is what gets done. For example, in talent acquisition, are rec recruiters rewarded or evaluated based upon how highly they're providing diverse represented slates? Are there staff members with significant ties to underrepresented communities? on the decision-making panels? Are leaders requiring a diverse representation of interviews when they are hiring? Are there active promotions and active sponsorship and mentor opportunities and programs for underrepresented groups? 
This helps to expand diversity, especially among the higher ranks of the organizations. And step number seven is to be consistent. As coach John Wooden once said, character is measured by what we do when no one else is looking. So if diversity is a real goal of your organization, then you want to institutionalize those practices far beyond what is publicly visible. But you want to communicate to your team, to your organization, that diversity is an important value of your organization. The best way to institutionalize diverse efforts is to make it a part of your traditional dashboards. When you measure quarterly the performance of your organization or your team, you can also measure hiring and retention of diverse talent bases. In addition to lag measures, you can also use lead measures that proactively link efforts to diverse outcomes, including recruitment and internal inclusion efforts. If you find this information interesting or helpful, I have a big ask for you, and that is to please share it with others, because I know that there are some people who are genuinely struggling with diversity, and I want this to be a help with them. So share with those, especially those leaders who you believe would benefit from this information and have a phenomenal day.